I'm worried that this environment and all this bullshit that's going on is going to make people take less risks and think that they have to play it by the book and that they have to listen to a lot of the investors. And what they really should be asking is like, did the investor go from zero to one or whatever it is? Like, did the investor take the company from hundred million in revenue to 600 million in revenue? Happy Tuesday and welcome to Not Boring Founders. I'm your host, Packy McCormick, and this is the podcast where we talk to the people who are building the future. We're in between seasons right now, but I wanted to bring you this conversation with Polywork CEO and founder, Peter Johnston, because after over a year in a private closed beta, Polywork just came out and publicly launched last week. They launched on Product Hunt. They were number one by a wide margin. People seem to love this product. I love this product. When I first met Peter, uh, it was actually because I wrote this piece on Liquid Super Teams called The Cooperation Economy. And Peter DM me on Twitter to say, this is what we're building. We're building the network for people who do a lot of things. They're poly workers. They might write a newsletter and run a venture fund. They might be an athlete and have a podcast. They might be an artist and a mathematician. As people increasingly do more things professionally, they're becoming less and less easily captured by that one job title you might find on LinkedIn at a time. I know that personally, I don't even know what to put on LinkedIn. I think I put founder of Not Boring, but I don't know how to describe what I do. Polywork makes it easy to define yourself by all the different things that you do and then connect with other people who share similar interests, passions. If you're a podcast host and you need a podcast guest, you can do it there. If you're starting a startup and you want to find a freelance designer, Polywork's a great place to do that. It's a network purpose-built for professionals who want to connect with each other beyond their nine to five. And it has a growing network of amazing people from places like Figma, Snapchat, and GitHub, all sharing what they want to do, making it incredibly easy to collaborate with anyone on anything. This conversation with Peter touches on a wide range of topics. Of course, there's career stuff in there, including his own, how he grew up in Ireland, came to the US, worked for agencies, worked for Google, started a company, raised a bunch of money. COVID came, he kind of realized that the company wasn't actually working, almost wound it down, figured out the idea for Polywork, and built it back up into what it is today. He's raised money from a ton of great investors, including big funds like A16Z and individual angels who run some of the best consumer companies out there. Plus, he's just funny, honest, and real. And I think this is one of the best conversations that we've had yet on Not Boring Founders. So without further ado, let's get to it. Peter, welcome to Not Boring Founders. Thank you. Yeah, amazing to, amazing to see you, as always. And yeah, thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. I was off for a month, so if I'm rusty, this is my first interview back. So you're going to have to bear with me here. But I, I think we should start, given the nature of your, your product, start with how you got here. Like, what was your career like? Have you done multiple things at a time at any given time? Like, what was very beginning of Peter's life to how you end up founding Polywork? Oh, man. Yeah, it's a little, a little weird. But I guess that's the point. I think everyone's is. I think like everyone probably looks a little more polished and linear and like me and I, like they, they all had a grand plan of how the pieces would connect throughout their like first decade in the, I'm like in my mid thirties now. So I feel like I have a decade or a little, actually a little more shit in the workplace where you want to feel like it connects, but then if we're honest with each other, it doesn't. So mine was studied programming for a year and dropped out 
then went back and got a business degree, which is kind of unusual, like business with public relations is a little fluffy in Belfast and just started at the time I had a part-time job in a restaurant as a kind of like prep chef. Actually, I did that for four I years that in, in my of, background as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell you what, to this day, maybe other than political campaigns, which come a few years later, I probably learned how to work hard in the restaurant, like 12 hours, 12 to 16 hour shifts, like intent, really important to communicate in like a hyper tense environment being screamed at. And I just love food too. So it was a great fit. I missed that actually. There's an element of startup to that too. When you're like preparing for like the product on launch two days ago, where you all kind of come together and usually on a, in a restaurant, it was like you prep for the week and or the two days. And then on the Saturday night, you have to do like, you know, 600 covers or something. And, but yeah, I did that. And then actually got my first break, I guess, doing something technical was I asked the, I started to really get into graphic design at the time. And I asked the restaurant owner, could I design the menus for the restaurant? And he said no for about a year. And then I just designed one for him and said, like, what do you think? Because this actually isn't bad. Like how much will we charge me? And I think at the time I asked him for like 75 pounds, which was, you know, back then was like 2004, five was, you know, like, I mean, literally like 150 bucks or something. And then I ended up just getting to do it. And I, and so then just built a little freelance business, like doing menus and posters for like the, like the pretty shitty nightclubs in Belfast and, and like the smaller seaside town I was a part of. And then, yeah, long story short, graduated with a business degree and then did that for about two years, worked at a couple of political parties in the UK doing like their digital strategy. It was super random, actually. I'm like, a, politics in Northern Ireland don't really go well together. So I'll swiftly move on past that one. But uh, it's paid well, you know, it just paid well. They weren't, it was around the time that like Obama had just been elected and, or it's like, I think he'd been, it was about to be elected and the case study of like how blue state digital had used social media in, in online politics was like a case study for all of us. So I kind of just like adopted that and helped, helped the party here in the UK do it. And then I just fell in love with design and, and doing it and randomly ended up at a few agencies like Sachi. And at this point I was like pretty much solely focused on design, like digital design work. I remember saying to a friend, I'm like, I think like these Facebook and Twitter icons are probably going to end up on like billboards and posters. And within like a couple of years we saw. I mean, now you see it where it's just like, it would be incredible. It would be weird to not launch a digital first campaign where back then we were bolting like the Facebook and Twitter icons onto, yeah. onto like, phys like physically printed billboards. And then, yeah, ended up just at Google. Google was like the main, that was like the, the main exposure. That was in 2012. And so ended up at Google as a, as a designer and one of the, the studios there called the zoo. And it was kind of perfect for me at the time because it was like a cross between, it wasn't working purely on like Google products. Like I wasn't in Gmail or search or anything like that. It was helping brands leverage Google technologies. So like if Ford or PepsiCo wanted to build an experience within Google maps, we were the team of designers and engineers that would help them leverage Google's tech and UI to, to do that and facilitate it. And so it was kind of like this weird cross-section of like brand and storytelling, but also I got to like do some pretty cool stuff with pre predominantly YouTube and maps and was the, was the two platforms I worked with. How did you learn how, how to design? We're, we're talking about this and recording this conversation the day after Figma got, got acquired by Adobe for yeah, yeah. $20 billion. I learned how to design by, by using Figma and I do not know how to design, but it makes it super, super easy when you're learning as a business student while working at a restaurant before Figma right, right. was invented, like how did you teach yourself? How'd you do it? I can't believe I'm going to give them a shout out because I hadn't thought of the name of it in probably 10 years, but Balsamic was like an early wireframing tool. I mean, I actually need to check them out. I'm, 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 I want to caveat that it might be a different 
one. I can't believe it would be the same one. And then there was another tool called Mockingbird, which was like used for, for wireframing, but it was really Photoshop. I honestly think that like Photoshop and then Sketch. Sketch really became a thing, I guess, around, I think Figma was, a, I left Google in 20, late 2014, started in 2012. So like, I don't even know if Figma was really around. I think like Sketch was sort of like, oh, there's this kind of like niche hipster sort of version of Photoshop that's a little easier to use. And then, I mean, I, I don't know how to use Figma today. Like, I use Figma to do a lot of reviews, but when I break layers and stuff with my design team and our design team is good, they, they, I'm like their terrorist, really. They really don't like when I get into, get into their Figma files. So what I like I mean, about, I about Figma is that when I used to try Photoshop and like, I don't even know how I did it because I certainly didn't pay full freight for Photoshop. But when I used to play around with Photoshop, Same. I'd have to interact with layers and I'd be like, all right, what layer am I on? Why are there different layers here? I'm not a designer. I don't know the language. Figma, I guess they have layers that you're, you're saying, but I've never, they have all layer. I've never talked about, you know, like it's just, it's as simple as like the dumbest user needs it to be. And I'm the dumbest user and I can use it to make the terrible designs. And so that, that makes I'm, it so I'm much a, fun. I'm a pretty... I, I'm a pretty dumb Figma user, honestly. Like my, like Nielsen and our team is is a wizard. There's literally a Figma wizard badge on Polywork, actually, which is for like the the cohort that like really love building plugins and the style guides and the and the open source stuff for Figma. But yeah, I, I'm terrible at it. But a lot of it was just learning myself on YouTube. I have like a love here relationship with education in general and just for like the current educational system, particularly yeah. in the UK and in Ireland. But and here, I just like will never ever be able to wrap my head around just like how expensive it is to like learn basic stuff. But, uh, but what was the exception of like, you obviously need to learn shit if you're a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, like there's technical stuff you have to learn. But I still say that like, I, I got like a little more street smart, I think, when I did a business degree and I like, kind of knew how it tied together, but I learned the hard skills over YouTube. I think I was the only designer at the time on the team there at Google that had not come through like a design school. But that was the kind of what they were after. They were after someone that was like a little at least on my team, like I remember, you know, that was kind of the joke that I was just like 25 year old kid that I blurted on YouTube. Did that, did that come across? Like, did you get to the same spot that they were and did you design similarly or did you come like, because you came from a different place, did you design differently? Was the result different? Like what's the, yeah. I guess the value in not being formally taught versus being formally taught? I honestly, I mean, so my probation was extended at Google which I don't think could happen in a long time. But I think it was more a culture fit. I, just, I hadn't been in London that long. And so I was a little like raw, I think, than most. And I think a combination of this, I, like the thing I couldn't adapt to, it's ultimately why I left, was that how slow the PS was at Google. I'd come from MNC Sachi, but like that was just relentless, like client deadlines and a lot of like 16 hour days. And I kind of, between that and the political campaigns and the restaurant, I was used to working a hundred hours a week and I enjoyed it. Like, it's like, what else are we going to do? There's, you know, only so much Guinness you can drink. And so I, I think it was a combination of like culture, like I wasn't, I'm not sure I was the best culture fit. That being said, I met two of my best friends there that are still two of my best friends, but I think they're better than me as technical designers. Like I think the, where I, Sean was the ability to tell the story through it, like combine it with the brand story and the go-to-market story, which I think was why it was good. I was a startup founder because I, I knew enough technically from a year of programming. I knew enough about design, but what was, I thought, think was missing at the time. I mean, we're, by the way, we were also talking like in 2014 when in London, there was, I think a satellite office of Index Ventures. Like I, I think a satellite office of Excel for like Fred Destin and Danny Reimer at the time, and then like Balderton Capital. And there really wasn't VCs. There just wasn't an ecosystem. And so I think that combination of like, I knew just enough of each of the elements, but the element I was good at was storytelling. 
And I still, to this day, think that that's the only thing that, like that combination is great, but I, I think the combination without a strong storytelling component, I got that from the political campaigns and from the agency stuff. Like we're, like we work like at Saatchi, we worked with Twitter and Spotify early days and Twitter kind of came to us and said, look, we're sort of an app that like people like in tech share their lunch on, like, you know, just talk shit. Like, how do we make it about like rich, diverse communities? And so we had to work to like re help rebrand and help reposition Twitter and doing everything from like inviting. I remember, I can't remember the name of the guy. He's a guy based in the UK that, that not David Attenborough, but it was, there was another one that did like this, this show on TV about like animals in zoos. And we literally brought him on to like start a bird watching group on Twitter. So that Twitter had more diverse kind of communities back in the day. That's so I think it was, I think it was that weird. So like, yeah, this is a long, long. Way. I, I think maybe we just, we just do the whole, the whole interview is your story it, with different. Uh, uh, I think it's like meta appropriate to, to what we're talking. That's kind of the point. I mean, not, I'm not, you know, I'm like plug poly work, but that's kind of the point, right? The little hit I give on education is, well, one, it was really expensive, like growing up to like, to, to go to university and like not compared to, when I came to here, I was just like, are you. Like people tell me they're in like hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And I'm just like, well, where do you get that, that money from? Like ours, ours was free for the first couple of years. And then when I was going through university, they then started introducing costs for the first time. It was like 3000 pounds a year. And that was expensive, dude. That was expensive. We had to get, I had to get a loan for it. We had my family, we had a loan for it. And I, so to this day, I've sort of, I had this, like, as I mature and grew up a little bit, I'm still, still stupid, of course, but like, I'm, I'm I start to like think back on it and just think about like decisions around education and what works and what doesn't. I'm just still not hundred percent convinced that the that at least what I experienced was, and I had some phenomenal lecturers. At, we, I went to the university of Ulster, I had some phenomenal people there, Andy Purcell, Ian Somerville, Fred Morrison, like all, just like that, you know, the, I will, at the time, unfortunately, the advice from Andy Purcell was like, go to London. It's like, if you stay here, it's not going to happen for you. Like you have to go to a big city with like international offices to the point where he literally was like, you gotta, the you can win an internship with Weber Shannon if you get top of the year in your class. He's like, and it's really important for you because they have an international office. So the only firm in Belfast that has an international office that is like, I mean, Weber or like one of the biggest companies in the world. And so I won it. I got top of the top, like first in my class. So I got the internship in the Belfast office, which led me to Weber Shanwick and managing director there, then went on to become the global CEO at MNC Satchi PR. And then she brought me over and wrote the first check in my company. And in, in my first company, when I went back to her, so like literally it's all connected. And so, but the world today, you, it's meant to be polished in this kind of like corporate way. And so maybe it is a little meta. I'm starting to get uncomfortable. They might, we're talking about me and my path, but like, <laughs> I'm still not, not used to doing that. But like, but I feel like the point is that we're meant to polish it up. When we started talking to users early last year, it was actually like the stories from them hearing like, oh, like your recruiter told me to remove the seven years of customer service or hospitality work that I did. Like we need to like all take like zoom out a little bit, trace it back and be like, well, why is this happening? And it's really happening because like a bunch of rich white dudes turn of the century started a bunch of businesses. And then those businesses started, like the same people started the universities. And I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating this to like American now because like Ireland's a lot smaller. But like, I need to like rein it in because sometimes I'm a little harsh in the educational system, but it's like, it, and it's, it's, it's the whole thing is just like bullshit and it's rigged. And, and so it was like, well, let's, let's charge them a ton of money and put them in debt to like go through our, our educational system. And guess what? Guess where they're getting the jobs. They're also getting the jobs in the companies that we own and we defined in like, like turn of the century. I mean, like literally people back then dude, were their surnames came from their job, like Smith, yeah. like, and. So for that, and then I, I don't, and I know this is like, I'm going to sound like, oh, 
under being philosophical and aspirational about what he's doing, but legitimately to this day, like the resume doesn't, and we're not a resume product. Like, I mean, who wants to update their, sorry, I swear, like who wants to update their resume? Yeah. No one wants to update the resume. Like that, that's, it, it's like, it's the world moves too fast now. Back then the resume was important, but the world moves way too fast for, oh, let me take time to like update my shit. And some people do it and, but either way, it's just outdated. Like this idea that, I mean, even yeah, like what, 10 minutes we chatted about my weird path through like politics and chefing and self-taught designer at Google to, and like the steps. The, my biggest frustration leaving university was like, was given one bit of advice, which is go to London, don't stay here. Which is kind of sad also. Like I love like going back now and like, you know, me and a few other people, we like we co co I was a named co-founder only. I didn't do any I can't claim any work, but like there's a bunch of us that, you know, tried to open a co-working space in back in Ireland and started it's now starting to happen. But back then it's just like money just wasn't coming into Northern Ireland at the time because of the past, like the late seventies, eighties, nineties, like hotels weren't being built, bars weren't being built, businesses certainly weren't. And so they're like, go to London, do your thing. And that was the only advice I got. And I took it and it was great advice. But why was that the only advice? It was literally just like, now I go work it out. And then you'd look at, you'd look at like these LinkedIn profiles and, and resumes of people and be like, oh, it looks so neat and tidy. And I need to do this to do that. Cause like, I mean, that's what we're all here for, right? To kind of progress, work out who we are and it's all bullshit. And so that was a lot of like the inspiration for the first product was what if you could tell, I mean, it's like for poly work in general is whether it's nine to five or not, we all do a ton of stuff. And how, could we show it in a way that isn't like summarized under these like really unusually succinct and obfuscated job titles that don't tell me shit about what it meant to be a designer at Google or how I got there. And so this path is meant to be laid out for us, but it isn't like it quite, you have to, you have to work it out for yourself. I don't know why that is. And I'm still trying to work out like why and it's definitely probably got to do with, to, to do with the guys at the turn of the century that just like set up the whole system and it hasn't really evolved since. And so here we are, everyone's in debt and trying to work their way up the corporate ladder and we're going to do our best to like mess that up a little bit and experiment. I asked people on Twitter the other day for their favorite essay of, of all time. And, and one was, I think it was late strike Odex meditations on Moloch. And it talks about all these systems that are broken and that everybody would be better off if they just like agreed to change the way that the system worked. But for some reason, the system just has to keep working that way. Cause like if any individual person defects, then they, they lose out. And so like, there's just this competitive nature and, and this almost like evolutionary nature to everything that if you do defect and try to do the right thing without somehow communicating with and convincing everybody else to do that same thing, you're going to lose. And it feels like the yeah. system is a little bit the same way. Hopefully Polywork is that tool that lets everybody connect, but it's, it's something that another essay actually that somebody, somebody gave me is where did all the Einsteins go? I believe it was called. And it's talking about right. the education system and not so much the, like, this is a factory and you know, the, the things you're saying, which are true, but saying that the thing that's missing actually right now from the educational system are tutors. And it's like a, an unpopular thing to say, because it means that people who have more time and money and all those things can get ahead and can right. become geniuses when others can't, but you look back through like, Everybody, Einstein was, you know, supposedly this guy who had struggled in middle school, whatever. He had tutors in math and in, you know, all, all sorts of subjects growing up who exposed him to these ideas earlier on. And so now I'm actually even thinking like, do I go on Polywork to find people to like tutor, tutor my son? Because now I'm thinking about like how you like help guide your kid to do this whole thing now, knowing that there are all the, all these issues with the current system. It's yeah. really interesting to think about. Yeah, I don't have kids yet. I think about this all the time. We actually just did a 
uh, LP old investor friend of ours had like a 60th and it was, it was interesting because like one of the LPs that we got sitting beside lives in Africa and it's obviously like incredibly affluent part of the world. And like the schools are like next level, but she was saying that they, they just took their kids, they just started homeschooling their kids. Cause it's like, we just don't know. Like we kind of, we, we, like those spots are, and obviously like that anyone that can be, is able to do that and be in that part of the world is like incredibly blessed, but still like, we just don't understand yet really these changes are happening so fast and we don't yet know what we want to expose our kids to. And so for now we're going to homeschool them. And, and it's weird that like, on the tutoring and the mentoring thing, like I started my first business that did not work and then pivoted into polywork a year and a half ago. And without going down that massive rabbit hole, I was a single founder doing it. Well, I like, could not convince. They wrote angel checks because they'd been at Google and saved up a little more money than I had. So they, they wrote angel checks, a couple of my buddies from Google at the time, but they wouldn't join me. So I started as a single founder and I joined Techstars. And like, honestly, between John Bradford, the MD at the time, he's now like a GP at a, a B, some VC fund, Dynamo, and the mentors that they give you, that's when I was realized like, oh, if, if I just ask people for help on topics, they'll give me it. And so I literally wrote an article called like the Jedi, I'm just like Han Solo. It's like my first ever media post. And it was about how crazy it was to go from like good pay and Google to like a startup by yourself in London with not a lot of VCs and just how the mentor, the mentor group, I think I called them like the Jedi Council. There was like five or six of them, like Matt Webb at the time, who run like a internet of things company, kind of the name, and just a few others that to this day, like, and you've seen the cap table I try to build. It's very intentional. Like there are. Bar, Mark Zuckerberg, Evan Spiegel, Toby from Shopify, they are pretty much the founders of every consumer app on the planet on our cap table and I, as of yesterday. And it's because I just, I'm a sponge. I like don't claim to know anything, but I will listen to everybody and then like decipher Don. That's why this relationship I have with education is kind of like, I like one, and the more, some of the more popular categories on Polywork are open to giving like career feedback, like all these little frac. We basically were like, for, we're for like discovery of every fractional category under the sun. There's literally like, People that post are open to playing Pokemon Go with other engineers, right through to like, I'm open to giving career advice. I'm open to giving resume feedback. I'm open to mentoring. And so just building that structured search engine is because I hope the future is that people can make decisions on their own terms about like what they learn, the speed at which they learn and who they learn it from. And YouTube did an amazing job of like early on, like that's how I learned the design. And you see like Maven, who we were talking about before, like great job with more of the creator stuff, like Dive Club that just launched. But I think. There's going to always be that need for the human element to build the relationships and you can build it ongoing. Like that's, the, that, that's one of the challenges I have with still with YouTube content and like TikTok's proliferation and just like dominating the world is that I still think that in a particularly remote work from home world that we're going to need human touches and connection more. And what we find is that the reason our platform is growing so fast is that we can give people that in a lightweight way. It's like resume feedback. Like I give pitch, I know I give, I'm open to giving pitch deck feedback on my, haven't taken a company public, but can definitely raise money. And so I am open to doing like once a week, 30 minutes, just on a Thursday, I get a lot of energy from it. And then most of the founders that leave it are just like, shit, like we never thought about it that way. They're like phenomenal engineers or designers, but they just don't know how to tell the story of what you need to do for a seed, seed run. And so I think those little fractional things when you start to combine them all in the future, I don't know what professionals look like, but they sure as shit don't look like they're spending 25 years at one company with one income stream. You're a great example of this too. Like you're building the media side of the business, but also like the VC side of the business and writing and podcasting and newsletter like that. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to do all of that because it's 
fun and more money. So why wouldn't people yeah, do that? When you put it, when you put it that way, <laughs> I, I actually was like very career monogamist before this. Worked in finance for you were a breather, bre- and then a bre- breather, right? I was a breather for six years, which is like an absurd amount of time to put in time to to any company, let alone one that ends up selling for for three million dollars. So not a great financial outcome, but learned a lot and met met a lot of great friends. The reason I ended up doing this is just like almost as a reaction to that, right? Like where I was thinking about starting something, but when I started writing, I was like, I don't make any money on this, but it feels like it's increasing optionality and I really like doing it. And then if I could do kind of interesting things as they come along, like Great. Right, I wasn't right. planning to be a VC. And then that opportunity just came along. It's, I think, leaving yourself, yeah. I think, open to some of that just leaves room for a lot of good stuff to happen. I think the traditional career track doesn't quite, like what you're doing is, it's kind of like this, I mean, Harry Stevens obviously like has done a, built a phenomenal media empire, 20 VC as well. But I think it, it's like people are starting to realize, okay, with, with everything's online and the tools, if you have things that you can tie into this little like complementary portfolio career, what you're doing, like quite literally your newsletter, the writing, the podcast, that's exactly what startups need in, yeah. they need help telling their story or getting their name out there. It's almost like it's such a perfect pairing. Like a lot of the early adopters in our platform last year were developer advocates or design advocates. Like they were the communications and marketing folk within the design or engineering spectrum that needed to get their company's voice out there. But with that, it lends itself to learning how to podcast and write newsletters and create content. And there's not a lot of them that aren't by like brands in their own right. Like that they build big enough audiences that they are, they're on Polywork not saying, yeah, you can sponsor my newsletter. Or if you want me to speak in your podcast, there's not like a paid fee. It's all starting to get very meta where it's just like, if those like who, who is it the brand or is it the core? But like either way, people are starting to like, I mean, like look what The Rock has done. I mean, Dwayne Johnson has sort of pretty early on in a very high profile way said, there's literally no boundaries to what I'm going to do now that I have that like platform. And so I'm going to make money in a ton of different ways, do a ton of different businesses. And I think that's starting to happen with this next generation, not even just the next generation of workers, like the professionals. I think it's starting to happen with, I, we see a lot of people like at what would be considered the end of their traditional career where they're probably meant to be in like Aspen during the summer or, you know, the site of France or something, but they're like, why wouldn't I, I can make a ton of money doing a podcast one hour a week because people want my expertise or yeah. I advise a company and get shares in it for an hour a week. Why wouldn't I do that? I know there's this whole like controversial topic bullshit about like, is it burnout? Is it not? I mean, sure. If people, it's never good if anyone has to work like multiple jobs. But the devil's in the detail. Like, I, I don't think you consider it multiple jobs if you're like running a podcast a couple of hours a week, or like we're doing some articles versus like your core job is as a venture capitalist. Like I certainly don't think that the one hour of feedback I'm giving a week to like pitch decks is another job. I think it's right. like, A, fun. I get energy from it. I get to network a little bit. I get to meet people, which is important because I work from home. But I think it's just like, well, I mean, I'm biased because I run a company that facilitates it, but like, I just think it's all, it's like, just fun. It's just fun. And if income comes from it, that would also be great too, because it's been startup salary for the last like seven years. So, you know, we've not, I think all the way at this point in the conversation, two things I want to do. One, mm-hmm. describe succinctly what Polywork is and does. And then two, you mentioned kind of bringing all of these founders under your cap table. There's a round that you recently announced. So Tell us what Polywork does and then give us the big news. Yeah, yeah. So Polywork is a professional network for discovering collaborators and opportunities. And so easiest way to say it is it's hard not to introduce yourself. 
with like a comparison to like your biggest incumbent. Sometimes we need to get better at that, but look, LinkedIn is for your nine to five resume and you're and getting you nine to five opportunities. And it does a great job of that. We have no interest. Everyone's like, you're a competitor. It's like, no, we are like definitively not competitive to LinkedIn, but look, the reality is people want to start side projects and speak on podcasts and start an Etsy store or join a live stream or angel invest. Like there are literally thousands of categories around like how people collaborate and work together today. And so we're that network. We're the network for people who poly work and to discover opportunities to collaborate. Because there's like, where do you go? Where do you go today if I want to find someone to speak on my pod? We started a podcast called Polywork Conversations to interview interesting people to polywork. Where do I go to find people that want to do that? True story posted yesterday that I was looking for other founders and investors to play basketball in New York City with. And the founder of Casper replied, like sent me a request. I was like, there you go. That's dope. So like, where do you go for like the little fractional opportunities and collaborations? And so, yeah, they're the professional network for full-time. We're the professional network for collaborations. And that pitch resonated. Tell us about the round. Yeah, it did. We did. We didn't have it for a while. I think like most professional networks that launch, there's always this like, oh, we're better LinkedIn or people default, like we're better LinkedIn. And like, no one likes to define themselves as a better version. You kind of want to find your own identity. And so I think we started to, particularly in the last like six months, we, we launched with like this single player mode product and it's great. It's phenomenal. It's you really easily publish all the different things you're up to and express yourself with all these different badges. So you could have like VC podcaster, you know, like data to like different, there's lots of like these like personal social quirky things, but at the end of the day, there's only so much you want to publish like a digital portfolio resume. And so we really started to focus was just on the discovery part. Like now that we have this network of people growing, how do we connect them? And we realized there was this, this massive gap in the market for like the connection around the, like the, that resonated massively, just literally connecting with people. It sounds so simple. And I say it, I'm like, with that, there's no way I wouldn't even invest in us as a, as a C business, let alone a series B, but I'm like, it's hard to connect with people because you don't know what they want to do. All these other networks focus on your past and that's great because past and your experience and what you like and what you don't like leads to opportunities in the future, but there's no network that's ever really been focused on the future and what you want to do. If I want to co-author a book or start a podcast or speak on a podcast, like if I can signal that to the world, then maybe other people will find me. Like I'm going to play, it's pretty dope. I'm going to play basketball with the finder of Casper. Like that's, I think that's cool. And so the round we, yeah, we raised the, raised the series B. Very, very fortunate given the environment. And uh, yeah, it was co-led by Nat Friedman, who is a phenomenal entrepreneur who ran GitHub for a number of years and then very, very tenured career. He's been great working with him over the last year. There's a lot of similarities, I think, to like what GitHub has done to like a net for a network and for identity and collaboration between engineers and, uh, and Caffeinated Capital, who I've worked with previous business. They led our Cedra and Rayton Singh and Varun are both, both heroes. So, and then Andreessen. And then, yeah, so my last business was B2B. And you mentioned like, you know, your the time of reading didn't work out. I spent six years too at a business that didn't work out. And it makes you hungrier and then hyper aware of just like the shortcomings. And grant we might've been too early and but there's also shit you can improve. I've always like worked in consumer at Google and at, even in the apps we built it like at Satune, but it'd been a while. I always, when I can, wanted to try it, put people around me if they were interested enough in the idea and working with me that I could learn from. And it, it's like cheat codes. Like people shouldn't have any shame in doing that. Like one of the people I spent a lot of time with in the last year was Bobby Lowe. I don't even know if he sold a verb to Snapchat. There's a lot of articles about this guy and, you know, Evan and Snapchat wanting to retain him and just like how strong he is a consumer product. 
and an intro through Ray. And yeah, just like every meeting moves us forward, like what feels like six months in product thinking and approach and design and everything. And so people like that, we got the guys from Clubhouse. They've been through on a much larger scale than us, like a similar-ish story. Like we met with fanfare and hype and how do you deal with that and work out if you've actually got a real product, like getting to learn from them and, and like lit, like John and Logan from Lyft. They were like on my dream list of investors to work with because when my previous business that we pivoted into Polywork was six years, recap, 12, totally new business, but like it, essentially like the, the core team was still the core team. It was like five or six of us came on to do it. And honestly, I read the article about how they'd done Zimrite for like six or seven years and then pivoted into Lyft. And you need, like, there's not a lot of those stories told publicly. And so I just remember like, it was as simple as that. I read it and it's just like, God, I really love to just have a conversation with like with John and Logan sometime. And they proactively reached out when they saw the Series A. They were like, this is crazy. Every Lyft driver under the sun polyworks. They're like musicians and, you know, and, and so that's why we're like, well, yeah. not only do we get to be intentional about like, they're doing Lyft on the side. Like some of them do it full time, but ultimately it's because they're like waiting to become an actor or actress or they're, you know, doing like they're an artist on this. And so what I try to do with the cap table and be more intentional about this time is that, look, we're a professional network for the future of work and all these people polyworking and representing what they do. So there's no way that we aren't going to need at some point partnerships or integrations with the Hunts and Twitch and YouTube and Instagram. So we got all their founders and then we're like, excellent, we can do that. That's like a moat that helps. But then you also just get to learn from them as well. You kind of need that when, when you get battered after six years of a startup and then you're like, well, you took a company public after a six year like pivot and it helped. So yeah, very, very fortunate. And there's a lot of people I'm not even mentioning that are just phenomenal that came on board, but I just need to absorb like a sponge and then over time, every year, just try to get better at working out what information to action and what what is relevant to us and what's not. And like balance that with like, trusting my instinct around our product and what we need to do and hope that there's enough runway or we make the mistakes that we will like quick enough in order to keep the growth going and the momentum. This is, I think, really interesting, both specifically in your case and then more generally when you are in this kind of larger network of people who you're working with for less time kind of per each person, like in an office environment, you kind of know who to trust and you've built a relationship and you know who to like right. kind of ignore. If you're polyworking, maybe a little bit harder to do that. And certainly, I think when you have a cap table like you do, where it's not just a bunch of kind of smart people, but a bunch of smart people who've done exactly kind of what you want to do, build a, a really big, important company and right. made a lot of money and been successful and are obviously very smart. How do you choose what to listen to from whom and to ignore? And do you like, even tactically, like, do you go back to people and be like, hey, I took your advice under advisement, but I'm actually doing something different? Or do you just kind of ignore it when you don't take the advice? What is that process of filtering all that good information? I was literally talking with the best friend about this last night. She's like, what, what, where do you get these people from? Like this list of investors? Well, first of all, 50% are probably never going to contact you again. So that's great. That's the harsh reality of it. Like, yeah, you get, well, you get a lot of names on the cap table. Some are going to end up vibing with you and working with you. And some is it's phenomenal for press. And so immediately the list becomes half. I'm not going to mention anyone, but like the list becomes half when you get a lot of high profiles. And then like, I think it's just expending time with people. And it always helps that people are genuinely passionate, like truly, truly passionate. They don't see it as like just a, a financial return opportunity. They're like, I believe in this thing. And like John is one of those people that for sure that from Lyft and a few of the folks from Instacart too, just like, this is, this is the, if you can productize this thing, like it is the future, like quite literally you need to bring this into, into reality. And so 
I think just getting to spending a little bit of time with each first and then realizing like the superpowers of each of them. And like, and also, I think there's a balance of like, do, will I get a ton of time with like the founders of publicly treated tech companies? Of course not. Like it just, it, does, it, it doesn't happen. But I might get a dinner once a quarter. You always have to be aware of that when structuring and capable. Because what I really think you need is like that constant drumbeat of advice. Like it wasn't as fun for Ryan Hoover. And between Ryan and Bobby, I probably met them the most. And Ryan wrote a personal, small personal check. And it, his help has been ridiculous. I mean, like amazing. Like just always has time. I don't know how he had the hours in the day, but always has time. And it's just, but it's so relevant to us. Like he built a community and a network like of these like niche creators. And that's where we have sort of like find our groove as well. So I think just like being very aware of like who, who's actually going to have a lot of time, who can you have that like one-off conversation with like once in a while, should the shit really hit the fan and who are going to be the people you can actually WhatsApp like regularly. And usually you end up being able to WhatsApp board members pretty regularly. But oftentimes board members haven't done the zero to one. Like for me, it was very tangible. I need founders that went zero to one in consumer from seed through at least like a series D or E that can help me navigate some of the bullshit. And, you know, Bobby had done that to acquisition. Ryan had done that to acquisition. Like Mike did at Instagram, Mike did it to, you know, to acquisition. And so just trying to like, I think, pattern match what am i about to go through and then who can try to do that and as for the advice my last company i just had no outward facing it i just didn't have a ton of confidence in making i think i listened to people way too much and it took us on this crazy path of we shared a lot of mutual investors actually with breeder and and different and in my last company as well i think just i listened to people because and i think it's because like it's really scary to like trust your own shit because you sort of like deal with like imposter syndrome a ton it's like well who are you and what are you doing and why do i have an opinion on where the world should go but this time around when it doesn't work you kind of get that realization of like but even if it had worked and i didn't do my thing would it really have been satisfying to like spend yeah. a decade of my life doing it as my coach told me, he's like, you know, when it didn't work out, it's like, do you like, if it works, like, what do you go do? And I'm like the original idea. And he's like, well, it didn't work out. So what the fuck are you doing here, man? Like, go do the thing immediately. Like, you're not getting younger. You're 34. Come on, like, go do the thing immediately. And I was like, cool. Who's done that? I was like, clubhouse, lift, you know, and a bunch of others. So kind of sharing investors and we won't mention names or good or bad or, or anything, but I, I certainly remember getting, you know, having the company get advice, like finally I got senior enough in the company that I got the advice directly, but like before it would come down on high through our CEO to the rest of the company. And some of it was like absolute dog shit advice. Like we had one investor who backed Uber and like, that was their big win. And so they were like, cool. I remember making the deck, you know, for, for the company or the deck and the model and the plan where they were like, figure out what cities Uber launched in, how fast they launched and like go like this is a, a supply game and go just do exactly right. what they did. And like bad on us for not taking a step back and being like, wait, it's totally different because they have these cars that are like part-time and whenever there's rides, they pay them. And whenever there's not, there's not. And we sign five-year leases, but we are just like, oh God, yeah. I mean, like Uber is huge. Like, I guess if they think Why we not? could be like Uber, like, let's go do that. So we launched a new office space every day for like a year, which was way too much supply. And so there is like that real, and it might just be yeah. being a second time founder and having gone through listening to yeah, it, 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 it is, man, it, it, I, I cannot relate more to that. The devil is in the detail. Like something Bobby, the product founder I've heard, I mentioned said to me one time was like, 
He's like, I passed on some advice that I actually really like. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Man? This person is like a senior product guy at Google. Like he's like, you need to go through, has that person actually got a product zero to one? Cause it's completely different. Like it's completely different. And then finally, like having people like that say like, you, you, you know, he's like, you know, like, you know what to do, you can put it if you don't, but we're all here to bet on you and what we think, you know, not what this other and moron that's never done it before actually knows. And it's, it, it's so nuanced. Like it's yeah. so, that's the thing where it's, and I think like there is that element of the imposter syndrome. I mean, I've been riddled with it my entire life. Like, I mean, just because like most of your identity is based on the school you went to or like what you did. And it's like, y'all won't recognize the, the logos on my CV. You kind of get a little comfort in that. And then you realize like, no one knows what they're fucking doing. And the best thing we have to, the best chance we've got is like to go for it, like, listen, you know, approach stuff like don't take too long but just like listen assess it and state worker doesn't make common sense i always say this i don't know how one of my long-term friends and mentors mark evans from who's the goldman for like a number of years and he started benchmark europe and became balderton and he's an investor in most apps on your phone that no no one knows about him so i should keep quiet i say to him often like why the fuck did you like i was like i would never i i don't have money to really invest to do some start investing but you know, he's, I'm like, what are you, what did you, what were you thinking? Man? I was 25. Like, and he's like, well, because it probably was, it wasn't this one. It was the next one. And so far, so good, you know, like, and he's just like, it's, it's about people. And I'm like, okay. Cause like I would, I mean, I'm still not doing everything right, but most first time finders are morons unless there's like a, like a, a, a lot of luck in it, you know, and, or, or they're not like, or there's like, you know, like I read that Airbnb book about the guys over there being like between military school and all this stuff and like, you know, and, and born for it. And that probably is true too. But I definitely think that most of us are morons the first time we do it. And then the second time we just have to be like, because the second time there's no, like, I always say this too, like, I'm not selling myself anymore. It's six years, I'm 40. And I'll spend 15 years in startup. So it's like, I'm not trying to sell my, like, you know, if, if it's all fluff, if it's one of these IPO companies that goes is, is fluff and goes public. Like, am I really going to sit down at the end of it and be like, well, that was fun. We didn't actually do shit or make impact or value in the world. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'd like to, I'd like to at least think that I give a, it's scary, but give a shot building the thing that I actually like set out to build this time. And so you just over, I, but, and it's sad to say, but like, it just comes with, I think it's the first time I've been able to say, well, the company didn't work, but I have a little bit of experience now knowing what didn't work and recapping a business and having to fire people and then fortunately get to bring them back when, you know, Polywork started doing well. We brought like about seven or eight of the old team back. But yeah, man, it's the, there's just, and, and particularly now, I'm, what I'm worried about is that in this environment, the Twitter fear mongering, I'm sure it's like difficult to fund it. It's like more, it, of course it is. Like it's just all like, it's just sequential. Like if the markets get screwed, then whatever, like it all has this like downstream effect. But I think the, with the, the Uber thing, you mentioned that like if an investor gets like one good bet and then all of a sudden, you know, everything that they say is like stintly water being dripped on your forehead. It's like, fuck off. Did you do it yourself? Or did it, did you, I mean, I made like a couple, like, maybe like 10, like little micro 5k angel checks like over the years and a couple of them are doing all right, but that doesn't give me any like any qualification whatsoever to give a strategy to an early stage business. People and people should never talk to me about how to take a company public or like yeah. how to like build like a $10 million ARR business, but they probably could talk to me about how to fund pre-seed seed and how to get at least early adopter traction at, at a series B, the consumer business. But I'm worried that this environment and all this bullshit that's going on is going to make people take less risks. 
and think that they have to play it by the book and that they have to listen to a lot of the investors. And what they really should be asking is like, did the investor go from zero to one or whatever it is? Like, did the investor take the company from a hundred million in revenue to 600 million in revenue if they were B2B or something? Like it's really, I think in the hype that accumulated and hit its kind of like climax in 2021, I think what people realize is that very, very often this like normal questions aren't asked and most pitches and bullshit can be taken down by like two normal questions. Like, tell us what your day seven retention is in your users, like, and it, and, or something, you know, yeah. where it's, I, I worry that it's going to flip back on people and we're going to see a bunch of, we're going to see less risk taken. Yeah. It's a beautiful part about bubbles. I was talking to somebody this morning about the fact that like, I'm actually seeing way fewer, like terrible pitches right now, which is good. And, and yeah. you want that. And it's like good for everybody's time. It's good for even those founders time that like, if they're, they shouldn't be starting a company, like maybe they're like a great fourth employee at a company or working at a big company. And like, that just is a better fit, but you're right. Like the good thing about a bubble is that people can be a little bit more like irrational and crazy and swing a little bit bigger. And I really hope, and like, that's why I keep writing the yeah. optimistic stuff during a downturn is like, I really hope that people don't stop swing big and get really, it really the balance. It needs to bring it back a little bit of the balance because the valuations obviously got, I mean, but I've always said that, like, I kind of just disclose like our recent one, but like we raised our seed last year in that market at 17 post one seven, like we can publish that. Now we're like three runs on. So, and I remember a month later being, I, sometimes I get decks sent by VCs because I have like a little bit of experience. I like the future work, like kind of creator freelancer thing. And I'm like, it's a Figma deck at 50. And I know this has been talked about to death, so we need to spend a long minute, but I'm like, and then they're like, oh, you meet the finder to see what's going on. I'll ask the finder, like genuinely why you're using a $50 million post. I saw one at EAD, pre, like pre-product. And I tried to, one of them listened to me, which was amazing. And I invested, like I got to do like a little like 5K kind of, kind of thing where they're like, oh, but the other VC's offering more money. It's, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it's way easier for me to make a business worth more than 17 with the 18 months runway than it is to make it worth like, and sure, you'll get a little bit more cash, but you just have no idea. Like, keep it, like, keep it lower. Who the fuck cares? If, if, and particularly in consumer, if you work it out, it's probably really going to work out. Like most consumer stuff is like pretty binary. And I don't get it. I'd love to see, I'm seeing less of that, which is amazing. Yeah. Fortunately, the hotter, the hotter deals are still coming in a little, little hot, but, but if they're good teams and it's a high quality deck and it's not fluff, then I actually am, I'm totally cool actually with the hotter deals coming in higher and having more money for less sleep. You know, some of them, it, you're right. It will mean that they can't grow into it in the next round. It'll be painful. It'll be particularly, unfortunately, painful for employees. Like founders can normally figure out how to navigate yeah, and get yeah, there, yeah. get themselves mid hole. And so like, there's all those downsides, but I also want some of the most, you know, like I was listening to this podcast with Patrick O'Shaughnessy and Gabe Layden, uh, and mm -hmm. he's building this like super ambitious, you know, web three freedom gaming thing after having run machine zone, whatever. He just raised like a $200 million round pre anything. But like, sometimes you just want wow. people having the cash to go take like really, really, really big swings. Or I don't know what the, yeah. the John Carmack round, which is, you know, I guess is a portfolio sibling of yours now, but like, I hope he raised yeah, yeah, yeah. a ton of money to go figure out AGI. And so like, sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes you want that to happen and you want the founder to have enough cash. If it's the right, happen. the right people with it, with, if it's the right, if the team is like talking sense and balancing like a giant vision, but also has that, those characteristics, I think of like, they're going to execute. And I think that's the, you know, I think, I think, I think it's more, I think a lot of the companies, not, not, none to be named of, and look, we, Hollywood is a shit ton to work out, man. Like we, I'm like, 
I'm not like sitting here saying like, we worked at I, we don't, we have like shit ton to do. But I think it, I think it's the teams that like, you get excited with the team where it's just like, I'd want to back this team again. And if any team's going to work it out, this team will work it out. And they've done enough. I mean, my experience is only really within the realm of like seed through now series B, but I think it'll come down to like, like some of the people you name there, like on, like on the AGI, I mean, that's like, like a heavy hitter. Yeah, you know, like that's clearly knows a lot about the, the topic area, and that's when it makes sense. What doesn't make sense is like, oh, why, why are you doing an NFT platform for this? Like, is it been a lifelong passion, or like, get interested <laughs> in it in the last like month, or like, if, like, is there a connection between like the founder's yeah. endpoint or personal experience? And so, like, there's a company that has been like, Live Kindred. I don't know if you did Live Kindred. The I didn't, but I've seen it, and I'm mad at myself not for not doing it. Yeah, the, the home sharing one. Yeah, great, great founders like. I think just people wanted to work with them, you know, like regard, but also that they've been in like in the adjacent space to like that problem for like a while. And so and the company's flying already. It's like, it's ridiculous. And so I think that's when it makes sense. But I still come to like the, it's just, the, I, I hope that if the bubble burst and things get a little off balance, but I think regardless though, those, the, the, the difference really was just that those experienced funders that are known as like executional machines and there's one of them that's going to get it done. It might be them. They were probably the, they, they might have benefited from a thirty to fifty percent premium last year on such stuff. But this market in this market, they're still probably going to get that backing, and that's probably yeah. the way it should be. Because I think like with the amount of tools out there, and particularly now with like a bunch like you know like I don't know if, I don't know if YC is back in person, is it? But it's I know it was like you know digital, obviously online for a while. But like if anyone can join that remotely or join a, the program remotely and. There's now like entrepreneurs all over the place, like springing up like a virus, the good, the good, good kind of virus. It's all, it's going to be harder to filter, right? Like who's full of shit and who should actually be given seed money in series A or, or series A, like the early stage, it's like pre, pre, pre really anything money, but I don't know. I'm, I, I'm personally glad that some of the 2021 nonsense is over. Yeah. I don't have enough to write like big checks in the companies, but a part of it was just getting to like know the founder, like it was kind of the poly, like a little fractional, like, you know, kind of like, like thing that hasn't happened with a lot of them because there were so many, there were so many part, like party runs and so many things and so many people. And it kind of like sucked the joy out of it. I didn't mean party run the brand, by the way, it was a great company. I meant the like, part, <laughs> like party runs, the, like, just with so many people in them. I remember a couple of being like, Hey, you've got two minutes, you'd be like five minutes to decide. There wasn't even a phone call. And I'm being a founder myself. I'm like, well, I'm of course, like, I know, like, I, I know that for my five pitch app, you're not going to. You shouldn't jump on a 30 minute call, but like, I would love more than five minutes to look at your shit and see if like, I, I like it. And I think that's going to come back a little bit, which is kind of nice. It got, it got so transactional. There are a few that were just like, so, and like, obviously I want to add value and like do all the things that VCs stereotypically do, but there were, there were a couple that were just so transactional that were like, here's your role. I'll expect you to quote tweet five tweets of ours and like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know what? (laughs) It's not not fun. I am out and I'm like happy to do that stuff always, but like, it's a very weird, like, I feel like a piece of meat on the other side. It's like, damn, you literally my Twitter followers. And I feel like a yeah. lot of that, that has not happened nearly as much. And I've been able to like have multiple conversations with founders and build stronger relationships. I, I love this, this period. I got cut out of a round. I, my whole, my very few reach out to me at all, of any, because of my experience, because it's only been in the game a, a little while, but like, it's usually like, can you introduce me to ABCD? And I got cut out of Iran despite making three incredibly high profile introductions and not, and learn, learn the hard way. I will, like, I'll never do it again. So, so I had one question that you, you mentioned 
that you have this gift that if you gave away all your other gifts, storytelling would be that one part of it. Oh, yeah. There was some phrase about dripping holy water that you've said that just like, it's a very, like, clearly you have the gift of gab and you're, you're a natural Irish storyteller, but like how much of it is natural? How much of it is something that you learned? And if you can distill your ability to storytell down into something that people listening to this could, could take away, like what are the, the key elements of good storytelling? It doesn't necessarily have to be for a pitch, but just generally. Someone, I'm only quoting this person because they said it. Sometimes people will work with me for my energy. You just meet some people and you're like, I like being around this person. Like, and yeah. it was, there's like, a, there's like a good energy, but I can only do that. It's like, if you got me talking about, honestly, if you asked me anything about like healthcare, health tech or crypto, I couldn't speak. And I, so I certainly couldn't speak in an excited way. I can truly only like talk about the stuff that I'm really authentically passionate about. I learned at Saatchi and stuff. I worked better with the clients that I truly loved and truly believed in versus like selling, like, like, I don't want to sell Ford motors. Like nothing against Ford, but like, I just think cars are bad for the environment and shit. And so their new electric uh, truck looks pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it does. I did. I see, I see I'm, thank God, thank God they're all doing that. Right. But like, I think that, I think that there's an element of like, that's the part I don't think you can teach like genuine passion and authenticity for something that energy shines through. And if, and I think it comes down to then the early, st early stage finders raising like, look, are these a good person who's going to give everything? Because that's really all you can ask when you're deploying a seed stage check. Like, do they know something? And do you think this person will give everything? But on the storytelling front, I think there's something I've noticed across the, I think it's the ability to, in a believable way, tie together as many themes as possible that make this feel like this could truly, truly be, and I can't believe I said it, a trillion dollar opportunity. Yep. For example, I think everyone is burnt out and exhausted as fuck being online. I don't want to be served micro videos for the rest of my life. And I don't want to not be present and live in other actual times, like watching these little like micro things all over the fucking place. I don't want that. And so what I think is going to happen is the world is going to like very emphatically flip back into real life, authentic, curated exper experiences with less people. Because we just got overexposed to too much information over the last 10 years. And I could decide to turn that to build that into the polywork pitch because our identity badges are the only, we're the only place in the world that does that, that collects that you are a VC, a dad of two, dog dad, vegan, and not with packing is not vegan, but you know what I mean? And a vinyl record enthusiast. And so those badges are going to help me make the world smaller. And that I believe the world needs to be smaller. And so I think there's like storytelling always needs to pull a heartstring a little bit of like, I'm exhausted, man. I believe that I'm exhausted being online. So if I can tell that story, like, do I believe that that's real in the world? So when an investor is listening, that they're like, yes, that actually is real. And then I can tangibly draw a line between what I'm going to do tomorrow to fix that problem in the world. I think that is something done well at Polywork. And so it's that balance between aspirational and literal. Sometimes I'll get decks that it's like, like they're going to, they're going to, I mean, sure. They're going to change water or like, cool, but like high and like, why does it, why does it matter to like, to, 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 to me or to you? And I think just the balance of like the outside bring and bringing it back. Yeah. And essentially you didn't, I mean, really. and a pitch deck might be different, but like you didn't use any stats there. You weren't like 75% of us say that we're burnt out online. It is making yeah. it personal and having not had to be like, yeah, no, you're right. I do feel tired online. Yeah, the, app the appendix, and it, uh, that's it, uh, that's what I will say is that like particularly as the raw, I mean, like pre seed, maybe not seed, probably not. Like we we didn't raise with this, we did, we haven't raised with the deck. We raised with nothing. Like I mean, the last round was a numbers raise for sure. Like I mean, it's just like numbers and real traction. But most seeds, 
maybe the market will change, but pre-seed seed series A is usually like team and product. And is there an early insight and the founder has something unique that they can kind of like get going on. But I think, yeah, when it gets to, to that series B and certainly for a series C, our series C will, it will be like still that. And like, are those, do those macro trends support that, support what, you know, Pete and the team are saying, but then it will be like, cool, but every, on every slide, like what's the month over month growth look like? And what's the yeah. day 30 retention look like? And the wow, wow ratio, and like all of those sorts of things, but you need less as like the kind of runs go down, but or the earlier the runs are. I love connecting seemingly disparate themes into, into a narrative, but also I, I do think there are just some depth, some, some storytelling that is too unbelievable. And we just have to tell this to clients, like we can't sell this bullshit. Like <laughs> we just can't sell it. If I reflect on the last company and, how, and it didn't work, like do, did I really believe that Everyone in the world could freelance. I tried to convince myself, but when I look back and I'm like, no, because there is systemic infrastructural issues in America and the wider world that will not allow people to do that full time. It's too fucking scary. And the entire financial system is based on this idea of being W2'd and therefore having healthcare and insurance and reliable income. But do I believe that everyone on the planet can do what you do, which is you have a full-time job as a venture capitalist, but you also, you poly work. You have the media business and the newsletter or the side project or the podcast. Totally. Yeah, I do. I think everyone can do that. And so it has to be believable. The series B is the one where the numbers have to back it up. I think up to the A, you can sort of with some early progress and traction, still convince people, but numbers need to start delivering on it. And so there needs deep dive. Can you actually sell it? And is it sellable? I, and in hindsight, I, I don't, I had blinkers on and. I, will, I know I'm waffling, but no. That, I mean, he said one thing to me. I just want to share. He said, and this is what I try to balance between my aspirational storytelling. He's like, he's like, do you want to be right or do you want to win? And I'm like, well, this is my seventh, this is my eighth year doing startups. So I want to fucking win. He's like, cool. Yep. So, num so, so story grit, numbers, dude, all about numbers and traction from now on. And you got, you beat me to the question that I was going to ask you, which is like, when you have this gift of, of storytelling, there is like this great power, great responsibility situation where I guess maybe like the difference between a sociopath and just like a founder is that like you believe my line, right? Like you believed yourself before. And so like, it's not like you were lying when you told that story, but like a sociopath might be like, I fucking hate freelancing, but I'm going to tell all these idiots that freelancing is the next thing to raise a bunch of money. But when you are a good storytelling, I worry about this sometimes I'm not calling myself a good storyteller, but like, because I write, I worry about this sometimes too, where I'm like, am I just convincing myself that all these pieces fit together? And I like, exactly. know how to do that compellingly. But I think you hit on a key point with like the actual belief. Like if I go back and read pieces that I wrote about and I don't write about anything, I don't believe in, but like companies that I'm like really excited about and companies that I'm like, yeah, I think this is actually going to be a really good business. You can really tell the difference in the totally. I very, very fortunate to have a, a, a business coach, business like personal coach introduced to a long time ago by my, uh, I think it was by Max Lemchin's team because single founder. And I was like, really, I was like, well, I'm going to talk like therapy is not like a, I wouldn't call it therapy, but it's definitely elements of it. And therapy is not really a big thing in the UK, <laughs> like coming to the US, like everyone is talking therapist. Anyway, we went through, cause we, when my last company field, we had a choice to make where we were going through a number of acquisition talks to like at least sell the assets and get investors some money back. And then it was when we got the Polywork Insight, the rest is history, as you know, but he helped, he, he put these guiding principles together where I, we were just talking to like some of the stuff I struggled with the most. He said something to me that is, I've never forgotten, which is the most dangerous thing a founder can do is sell to themselves and not know when they're being sold to. And when I reflected on that, I'm like the pandemic 
was the kind of like straw that put the camel's back is that the expression like on, on my last business like we, we hadn't we didn't have a choice after that like our, our revenue went from freelancer payments and clients like airbnb and a bunch of others and yada yada but i think maybe i'd have called it a year prior to be like i think this is probably a tuck-in acquisition to like a bigger hr software play and, and i don't know if that was because i was selling to myself too much but not i think it's about knowing when to turn on the faucet of like when do i need to sell to myself and the team and like, I don't know if you read the article, the medium I wrote yesterday, but like, I was pretty, I was pretty honest about like the nosedive our retention metrics took in, in December of last year, post hype. And I was pleased that got a, you know, a lot of people DM saying like, people don't write this shit. So like, thanks. I was going through a similar thing, blah, blah, blah. I was looking through it last night. And I was like, really happy. It kind of resonated with people, but you need to sell to yourself then when you're like, we went through six years of failure to then hype. That got us a bunch of funding and we a bit of but it turned out it was momentary relief and so i felt like betrayed i like my consumer and i was like Fuck, i really need to want this to be successful and believe in it this time before or i'm just gonna go make 600k a year as a fucking designer my mans are making so much cash you know like it's just like stuck at either senior designers at, at uber or tinder or whatever it's just about a faucet you need to know when to turn it on and when to not and like and i feel like the it's always important early stage and it's always important late stage, but then the numbers have to come the late stage. And for us right now, some of the uh, last thing I'll say on it is like, I still really, I, I'm getting better at that. So being real about the numbers and our board helps with that a lot. But one thing I will say is that knowing when the branch is truly broken off the tree is probably the thing I struggle with most as an entrepreneur is like, when do you give up and when did the bet not work? Like, for example, we, when we made the bet to, to move to. Like there was a roadmap for like, do we just build a single player mode out like for the next year or two and really run up against the square spaces and Wixes of the world and, and build integrations and templates and all this stuff. And I was like, I just feel like, actually, this is the problem. It was a feeling. I was like, I just feel like there's momentum around this like niche set of poly workers that kind of want to connect with one another. I feel like it'd be crazy. Like surely we'll be able to like come back on the single player mode and just keep chipping away at it year over year. And on it, there was times where we nearly were like, no, the multi fuck the multiplayer didn't. It's like, it's not catching on because it's really hard. I think to know, like, you know, relative to your total runway, like, like what, what is success? Like, is it 10,000 people adopting the feature in its first week? And then like 40% retaining and you can use benchmarks and, you know, day 30 and different things. I still in a work in progress with that stuff, but I think just the key is like that's when you should have involved other people, like the mentors and the people that have done it before to say like, Hey, it's been, I mean, like all this, all it's all, it's been seven months and like, you know, you're still consumer apps still fucking around like the sub 10,000 user mark. Like, I mean, maybe it's about a year, maybe you need to like think of a new idea or, or something, but I really struggle with, with the knowing if the branch is truly broken off. I think it's one of those difficult things I'm in this environment. I think it's going to, I think it's going to become way, way more difficult for people to to know when they should give up or when they should pivot to something else. I don't know if you see that. I just, I struggle with it. So I'm sure other people are as well. No, I mean, I think that's, I think that's awesome. And it's such a weird, a weird dynamic where like, I think, you know, talking to a couple of founders, you know, in the portfolios companies have shut, shut down. You know, I think like they're just so afraid to go have that conversation with investors that it didn't work. And on the other side, investors are like, awesome. Like you gave it a shot. And actually like the fact that you're going to return a little bit of money and go do something that's better for you and like not have all of us pretend that this might work is like actually a really good yeah. thing. And so, yeah, I think honestly, it's an important I, point that you're making there. I wish more people, like I was petrified 
of telling, it was during the pandemic. I was petrified of like very unhealthy, lost a ton of weird, like wasn't eating, like closing on a business when you're already riddled with imposter syndrome. It's like, I was just like, am I even going to be able to like be in this world anymore? Yeah. And it took me way longer than it should have to start calling. I mean, it was during the pandemic. I couldn't go have a coffee with them. I had to call them all. And, and you know, like some were asshole. I mean, you remember the people who were assholes about it. And then, but and it's, it's, uh, you know, the, it was actually, I mean, we don't work together anymore with, with this fund, but they didn't reinvest, but the, with Peter Thiel's fund that worked with Breather and with mine, they were incredible. Like it's a James Fitzgerald, who's our lead. We put most of the capital in and said, uh, he was like, could tell, I was just like, you know, cause like, I, that was the big call. That was the call where I'm like, we took like 20 mil from y'all. I feel like that's not on my personal ledger not. And he said, uh, don't ever, this was paraphrased incorrectly unfairly by a journalist actually in an article last year who misquoted it. But what he said was, don't ever apologize for spending nearly a decade on one bet. Like I'm fine. We're fine. We made 40 in the time that you made one, my friend, what you're doing is hard. What we're doing is easy. And I was just like that. I like wrote down in tears after it. And my partner was just like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like I should have, like, I was like, but then it made me want to like work harder for them again. Generally, I try to be like sometimes a little too raw, but like authentic with people. Cause I just think like, what's the point? We don't really, you know, throw on this rock for like a pretty limited time until like Elon, you know, proves it's a, sim proves it's a simulation or something. So I'm like, you know, why not just be like honest to each other? But yeah, dude, like that, I think that there's going to be a shit ton of failures that come out of 2021 and they're already seeing it. I mean, like two of my, two, two of my little angel investments are already done. And I spoke to one of the founders and he's like, I can't believe you've like nearly convinced me to like go do it again after this. Like I'm literally like in depression right now. And I'm like, dude, come on, this, ha like, this happens, but you need those people to normalize that there's very limited people want to take a shit ton of shots on goal with like big swings. And to your point, like the, the, the quality deals coming back, those are the deals that honestly, we should be fighting this for 200 posts into the seed run. Yeah. Because those people with insights and they're willing to do it again, but founders get caught up in this, like they think they did something bad when they lose. But what they don't realize is I did too, for so long, it, they did, they, they, they're not, you're not, you're like, we should fucking be so lucky to get to back you because you're going to give, like, if you're really going to be, give 10 years to this problem, like what a fucking honor, you know, like what a yeah. fucking honor if someone's really going to go for it. And I'm just like, so like the second time guys, like, and, and, and women, you got to look for them because it's like, and like, and actually normalize failure at a seed stage, series A stage, like, cause you do want to get people caught up in that, like, and not that I know I gotta let you go, man. I've like chewed your ear off for like four that. fucking hours, but like the, it, it comes back to that idea of this systemic, just immediate desire to be a part of a club that starts from the, the school logo that you went to, to the university, to the Google and the resume, to then the funding from the Andreessen Horowitz or the benchmark or whoever. And so people are so petrified to lose that little like badge to get to like put in their fucking Twitter bio. And it's really unhealthy, like super, super unhealthy. And so, yeah, I don't know if this is what finder talks are meant to be about, but people should normalize this shit. And that should never be, should never be frivolous. Like, I mean, it, by definition, quite literally means that someone is probably more qualified than they were the first time around. hundred percent. Amen. Normally I started asking this first, but I think it just, there's so much more context if I ask this last. And so what does the world look like in a decade? If you work on this for another decade of your life and you succeed this time. We have a very, very big vision. And so I think that I'll go with like the five to 10 year. I think that, look, 
the future of being, of coming out into the world from whatever education system someone has decided to go through, whether it's online or cohort or, you know, traditionally going to Stanford or whatever. I think that at that point, I think people are already going to be entrepreneurs. I think it'll be highly unusual that most people on earth aren't already making money from something they love doing at 16 to 18, not working in something they have to work in, like I clean dishes at 16 years old in an ice cream shop for like two years, like none of that. I think it'll be very unusual that people are, that don't have multiple revenue streams by the time they're 21 years old. And I think that if I push it out further and further, I think businesses will start to look different. I think the corporate structure of businesses will start to look different from like an equity and an ownership perspective and an alignment perspective. I think that it's going to be really hard to retain talent full-time in a world where you know, we had someone on my podcast, Michael Ridd from, from Maven, designer of Maven, and also runs Dive Club, like a cohort for his own designers. And he makes, he's like on track to make north of a million bucks a year from his side project. I mean, like, I only wish I could do that. And I think that should be normalized. And so I think it's going to be harder and harder for businesses and corporates to retain talent. And, and I think, so that, I think that's a good thing. I, and I'm really excited to see, particularly with like, you know, a lot of the decentralized stuff, like what does that mean for the structure of a business and ownership yeah. and when the incentives are going to realign with people because they want, you know, they're working, they want bigger houses, not even. And so they're going to go get that whatever way they can because they're working from home and doing that, which I think will be really cool. The last thing I'll say is the biggest surprise to me on Polywork is the people connect around social categories. Like I mentioned earlier, the, the founder of Casper sending me a collab request because I said I wanted to play a pickup game in Brooklyn or New York with, with other founders. I just hope that we get to like connect with people on like, more social stuff again. Like I, I think like some dating apps have tried it, but I think there's always that weird when you kind of are a dating app, it's quite clearly for a very singular purpose. And then you move into like, oh, there's also a business portion of it. I'm sure it's doing well, but I've always found that kind of unusual. Like, you know, I have a partner, I don't really need to download Bumble again. And so I think I'd love to see us connect the world on, on a more social level, because I don't know if despite TikTok's dominance and I, we love what they've done from like AI and machine learning perspective. And we try to do a lot, I wrote about a lot of my article, but I don't know if they're connecting the world more so as turning everyone into a performer. And so I think that my most fun social relationships and connections have like a professional component to them. Like I would rather play a pickup game in Brooklyn with, with a bunch of other founders and investors like you, than I probably, and then right now I do it with people in my building, the Lower East Side, and I, that I don't have as much in common with. And just that little... So I think that would be really cool to like have a slightly more connected world while ever, because like quite literally every social media platform is about to, we have two years copying TikTok, which means they're all about to become broadcast. So then the whole world's going to snap back into needing like curated real world experiences. And so something like that. Well, I want dancing videos on Polywork. Oh my God, man. I just like, I keep reading about more of these startups, like pivoting all of their shit to short-term video. I mean, I understand why, like we got, we had a, we did a Gen Z is a huge audience for us, of course. And so that's the one before that's the newest one, right? Yeah. yeah. Gen Z. That's like the new cool the, one. Yeah. The young ones, the kids. And so, and then these people told me that they use TikTok for search in our survey. I, I really hope that people start creating more curated online experiences because I, I'd be, I would love if I had the cash, I'd be backing a ton of like more curated community startups and products because like I kind of draw the line when doctors post field surgery start doing tiktok videos about how it could have went better uh um, is that a thing that happens i i'm not on all right if, no me, me neither i saw it shared because people are just like is it the is this where we've gotten to you know that like 
people are like posing for like TikTok videos post-surgery in hospitals. I, I do think it's doing good stuff, but I just, I just think there needs to be some balance. And I don't think, like, what do I know, man? I'm fucking just, I'm still working in O2, but like, I just don't think the answer is that these platforms that, that actually do have the resources in a shot to take it on should probably go like follow them down the short form video rabbit hole. Seems like a waste of talent and resource. Like go or go, go do the next thing. Our Facebook, I'd be spending much more time with Facebook groups and leveraging that because I think it's yeah. still, still a good product, but who knows? Yeah, this is, I think we should, we share a lot. I was going to do a community thing before I did, before I did the newsletter. So I think we, we share a lot there. I think the reason we first talked is because I, I think it was after my, I wrote a post on liquid super teams and it just like describes a lot of, yeah, I was like, accidentally a lot of what you're talking about, the shift of power from like the business to the people, the ability for a business to like hire the right people at the right time. And like people that they'd never be able to hire full time, like all, all the stuff that you said has had kind of like been bubbling in my head and then seeing it kind of come to life and Bollywood work has been so unbelievably cool. So thank you for letting me invest and be a part yeah. of it. Thanks for, thanks for joining. Thank you. This, for, this is incredible. I could listen to that Irish, that Irish boys talk for, for hours. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem, man. That's the problem. I, I knew that was when I needed to like be more succinct because I spoke at a, a future work conference in Las Vegas about three years ago. I thought it went really well. And then I was, I got the first question on the panel. It was like, all oh, these chief people officers. And it was like, where are you from? I think I, I think I speak for everyone in the audience and trying to ask like, where, where's your accent from? Cause we can't police it. And I was like, oh my God, they didn't listen to a single thing. <laughs>